Welcome back, my loves. Oh, I have a powerful guest to introduce you to. Tom Shipley is the former Israeli Defense Special Forces agent. He is now a serial entrepreneur, investor, strategic advisor, and one of the lead experts in omni-channel brand building and business aggregators. Tom's beauty brands have sold over $2 billion through direct-to-consumer marketing and retail. Tom also raised $100 million from private equity to launch the Amazon aggregator Foundry, where he is challenging the outdated global agency holding model. Tom's willpower is unparalleled. You will want to take notes during this episode. It's short, it's quick, but it's loaded. (laughs) Enjoy my love. Tom Shipley. Oh, I'm so excited. So excited to hear. Hi. (laughs) Excited to be here. Your energy is just contagious and wonderful. And what you put out there is just very much appreciated. So excited to be here with you. Welcome. I'm I'm really excited to share all of your wisdom. We met at the really cool dinner party and right away I was like, please be on my podcast. You have done some cool things. <laughs> um, so we're going to get into unrealized potential, but I wanted to start off with you join the Israeli Defense Forces by choice, voluntarily. Yes. <laughs> what was that journey like? What did you learn? I, I Was it a beating? I can only imagine. So I'll I'll share this with you is I had an average upbringing with some highs and lows. And, you know, there are people that had clearly horrible adversities in their life. But I'm going to say that in certain ways, I don't think there's anyone that gets through the age of 20 without adversity or trauma, period. And in their life, we all had trauma. The question is, is what do we do with it? And I'm going to say those there's gifts to all adversities, no matter how painful they are, there are gifts to them. So while I might have had an average childhood, it did have the adversity of having a father who just didn't get it back then and was frustrated and took his frustration out on his slightly dyslexic, slightly um, son who stuttered a lot. And that was, he he just had to get it out there. And unfortunately, I was the center of it. But again, you have choices. And my choices, I just became tenacious and a fighter. Not physical fighter, just I just went and just never gave up. Um, when I was at Florida State University, and it was just a um, typical life, and and I was pledging fraternities, and I was involved in the Jewish student union there. And regardless of what I was doing, I felt like it would not amount to a big impact. And I was, you know, asking big questions about life, and the questions: Am I having the maximum impact? And looking at how many people in their teens was able to have a massive impact on the world. And here I was 20 years old fraternity being involved in rallies and things on campus, but really, is that really going to make a difference? And the question is, what is the highest impact I can have right now? And I I'm Jewish. I've been spent a year in Israel at one point. I love the country. And here was this very, very young country that was in a very tough neighborhood and I said, this point in my life, the biggest impact I can have is go and move to Israel, join the army and fight for the country in this very, very young country. Wow. What year I was went, that? That was 1981. Wow. Okay. So then I went to my parents and shared with them the news. And my dad said, wait a second, Tom. And he said, you, you kind of run, 
you're not that athletic. You're um, uh, from that perspective. You're also uh, don't know the, you barely know the language. You don't know that much about the country. You know nothing about the army. What are you going to do if, when you get there, they're going to allow you to push some papers. Um, and I don't know. I love being underestimated. My whole life I've been underestimated in certain ways. I'm still get underestimated. And for me, it's just, that just means bring it on. And so I finished the semester out, moved to Israel and you start creating this vision. I learned the habit of leveling up a vision. First, it was clarity that I'm going to move to Israel, clarity that I'm going to join the army. Then it was learning about the army and learning about special forces and then the clarity of one unit in the special forces. That was one of the top, their, uh, their level three special forces, their three, their four units in that level. And this one's focus was um, airborne rescue, basically rescuing by ropes or helicopters anywhere in the world. Wow. And it's and primarily focused across enemy lines. And looking at that, I could actually associate with the mission, the focus. I actually pictured myself getting into the unit picture myself in universal form, pictured, create this manifest. I just basically created this clear vision. And I realized at that point of time, regardless of whatever adversity I had, and that I was unlikely in so many situations from security clearance, not knowing the language, not being as athletically strong as most everyone that goes out there, it was clear that I was going to make it. It was clear that nothing was getting in my way. And I started when I was, I started training myself and again, going through the cycle so that I knew I was an underdog, but I was going to overtrain for it. Again, these are lessons that you learn in life. And therefore there's a process that they went through where they, they, out of 70,000 combat soldiers, they pick 10,000 who applied to get in my unit. They pick a thousand of us to go through hell week out of the, and again, there's a battery of physical tests and, and psychological and psychotechnical tests. They give you, they pick a thousand of us, out of which they pick two groups of 500 to go through hell week of which they picked 25 of us to go through an 18 month program at the end of 18, 18 months, there were 13 of us that were left. Wow. Wow. From a thousand so, down to 13 from 10,000 to a thousand down to 13. Oh, that's incredible. Nikki, let me ask you a question in life. And especially if we're talking about entrepreneurships, how many companies can achieve over a hundred million dollars in revenue, or let's even say 10 million of revenue and survive over five years. I don't know. Okay. You're talking about similar type of odds. Really? Yes. Okay. 95% of all businesses fails. 90, you know, again, of those 5%, the numbers that can scale and then continue for five years again, therefore the numbers get really uh, crazy. Even 66% of all companies that are on the Fortune 5000 will fail within five years. So wow. just looking at that, so you start you start saying there's two sides of every picture. There's those that will succeed and those that will not make it. And so what I internalize then is if I don't quit and I don't listen to the voices of you can't, you're going to fail. And the laughter and the ridicule that I had about this crazy vision, this American who doesn't speak English is going to do this, you know, I was ridiculed. But again, whatever you want to do something in your life, what voices do you listen to? Do you choose to listen to? And and part of it, it was the fight in my head against the boy I was and what I went through that was, that was there just grinding it and nothing was going to stop me. Um, what was interesting is that 
I'm a big admirer of David Coggins, who, you know, you can't hurt me. And the guy just never gives up. And what he does with his body, even to this age, is at this point in his life is incredible. But what threw me off a little bit in his book when he talked about how he quit a number of times and then came back and did it again. I never understood that quitting was ever an option. Ever. So you're you're faced with a lot of adversity overall whenever you're building something. So it was just one of those things. So those years in the army, so many different lessons that you learn, you pick at you. First of all, you're trained that when we were standing there in line and they're calling us, there were some of the best athletes I've ever met in my life to my right and my left. They did not survive. They did not make it. It's not about talent. It's a question of high performance people. And what they test us on is, ten- uh, is tenacity and trust. And they're trying to break you down to see and doing a lot of things to test your trust. And a lot of people were kicked out of my unit along the way for trust issues. You know, trust one of the things. What? That, okay. So here's an example. Um, after during hell week on the fifth night, not sleeping, exhausted, they fooled us. They let us lie down in the tents about one in the morning. We thought we were, that was it. We finally get a good night's sleep at least three or four hours. They woke us up in an hour and they were, they were doing firecrackers and they were getting us up and they sit out and there was two long, uh, there was two long lines. And with each long line, they said, okay, you're going to run a hundred yards into the desert. You're going to find between bushes and prickers. You're going to find a night light. Whenever you get there, we want you to drop and do a hundred pushups and then come back and we're going to time you. And this it, two different groups, different directions. And so here you are, and I go out there, and there's just it's just pitch black, and you're exhausted. You can barely move. By this point, you have so many prickers in your hands that they're all swollen from all the prickers and the cactus, everything else, and you're just in pain. And suddenly you get down and do and just do 100 push-ups. So I went down there and I did 99, and I I did what I thought was 100. I said, well, you know, I think I missed one, so I jumped down and did one more just to make sure, and got back. It never occurred to me that there were um, the next morning, they called 13 people's name, 13 people moved forward. They said, okay, you're going home. He said, we were out there with night vision goggles and you never went and did (gasps) pushups. If we can't trust you to do what you're supposed to do when no one's watching, how can we trust you to do it when lives are like on the line? Wow. So again, wow. how do you met you do things to test people? And when people are exhausted and that level not sleeping, people revert back to their natural behaviors. So again, so this is an example is how do you do trust? Because ultimately, and in teams, if you've ever been in a dysfunctional company versus the functional company, a dysfunctional company might be handicapped for a number of reasons. The functional organizations that have the high level of a trust and a passionate, committed team that doesn't give up will beat the talented overfunded company that is dysfunctional every day. So again, so lessons, uh, lessons in medics courses, they said, a good medic is one who improvises or a good soldier is one, but overall, what are they teaching you? Um, it's not about the resources you have. Every, everyone else will always have more resources than you do. And you'll never have enough. It's about your resourcefulness. Mm. So you have to know how to improvise. So again, you're taught these things. So there are different lessons I learned along the way during that three years that when I get, got out of the army, came back to the States to get my education, but I couldn't help myself. I started businesses. I had an unfair advantage from my from my three years in the Israeli Art Special Forces. Just the lessons I learned over the years, I feel that that has been one of my core. 
say the worst part of it um, physically was probably the first nine months. However, those are some of my best memories. Mm. It's just because, of, again, especially after the fact, you remember just the experiences, the relationships that you developed and those negative experience of just hardships turn into those things that you remember with special memories. Not that I ever want to go back there. I have some nightmares about that, but (laughs) (laughs) at this point in my life, being back in the arm and going, are you anyways? Fascinating. Why does the human psyche need hardship to, to learn? Uh, When we're comfortable and life is good to have the motivation to change there's so much, again, all the um, inertia and momentum is a very powerful force mm-hmm. to change what you're doing, to have significant changes for life and taking those risks is difficult. But as being in challenging situations and you're forced to dig more and pull out the best of you in order to make those changes or make the best of a bad situation, but then really evaluate and make those pivots. So like it, I've always said that is I hate the fact that I hate to admit the fact that some of the best decisions I made was because I was in an um, adverse situation. I had no choice. On the other hand, that's life. Just embrace it. So while some people say embrace the suck, I, I don't believe embrace the suck, but embrace embrace the moment because this is the moment where greatness is born. Mm, powerful. How do you support someone in their unrealized potential? Because you, it sounds like you had this burning drive and maybe it was brought on in childhood with your father doubting you or, uh, you know, and, but it sounds like it was innate because you could have used that history and, and had it crumble you, but instead you used it as fuel. Um, yeah. Maybe it was because my mother was the biggest optimist in the world. So I had to reconcile that and the love she gave me. So it kind of balanced that. But of course, that type of ridicule gives you insecurities and then you have to drive and feed it. So yes, there's part of it that that's innate. But then along the way, as I remember that when my life had balance and I had my wife and daughters and I went, okay, the same thing that drove me before isn't going to drive me now because I don't have that that empty vacuum black hole inside of me that I'm filling anymore. And so I said, what's going to be driving me? And then I had this realization that at least in my world, there's the entrepreneurial archetype is we're, we're hunters. We love, we, what drives us crazy is unrealized potential. And when we see that, and therefore it's so tough for us to say no to 99.9% of all opportunities, because all we see, when we look around are opportunities that could have significant impact and can change life in a positive way or have a bigger impact overall. So us not doing that. So I look at people, when I look at other people and opportunities, I see unrealized, I see unrealized um, potential. But the thing is, is that I'm also non-judgmental. The only one I judge is myself because it's everyone's journey. It really doesn't matter because everyone, you know, the thing I like to say is that Every one of us has our own epic novel that we're writing. Our responsibility is that our own novel and we're not doing in someone else's voice. We're not writing our book for someone else's approval. It's our job to write our own epic novel and every chapter of your life should be epic. And why not? We get one shot at this. My view of chapter is five years. So every five years I try to evaluate I'm exactly where I am in my life or do I want to have a, sig- a significant change? So 
but this is my book and everyone has their own book. If someone's book is that they have a nine to five job, they work for UPS, they deliver packages, they come home, they coach, they are the coach of their kids softball league. And that is what they want to do for 20, 20, 22 years. And after that, they want to play golf. You know something that's beautiful for them. Everyone has to define what is good for them. So when I say unrealized potential, it is what could be. But that said is, let's talk about what trauma does. Trauma does, we put our hand onto a stove. We get burned. We learn, don't put your hand on a stove. Same thing about emotional and other things that cause us um, to be humiliated, shame, laughed at, failure. So we're taught these things about what causes those negative consequences and our our prefrontal, prefrontal cortex or our dinosaur brain is programmed to minimize that pain. So therefore we create these loops. Don't put your hand on the stove, loops. Don't take risk, loops. Don't have high expectation, loops. And this is what is possible. And let me only go for what's possible and probable to succeed. So therefore what, what happens is that we... Um, Peter Sang, who wrote The Fifth Discipline, great MIT professor, he talked about, um, he said, imagine we're, we are creative human beings. And what happens is we get these rubber bands and we stretch them and we see how far we can stretch from our hands. But then we realize over time is that's really painful. So let me lower and lower and lower to reduce the stress. Ah, that's comfortable. What we did is, is that's life. We have pressure as we create things. And therefore, and because of the noise and the pain and the and things that happen and the traumas, we lower it to reduce that risk and that pressure and that noise on our life. But what happening is, is we basically created fine and mediocre. Can you imagine saying, I'm not going to take real risk with love because the risk I'm taking is the same thing as we're meant to live life. So there are risks So what you have to do is get used to that. Learn how to breathe and understand is that tension is really, really positive and just saying this is just it. This is life. And this is just it's it's the cost and of working out to be healthy or the cost of living life is just that little bit of creative tension, but lean into it instead of lean, lean weight. So for our brains is we set these expectations of what is probable versus what is possible and versus manifesting and saying, what if, what if. So the two questions that I love to ask is just what is is imagine what if and take away all constraint all read all restrictions all your preconceived notions about uh, about what is possible to envision that future. Take your business instead of looking at incremental growth, add a zero to it. Imagine what would your business be if it was another zero? What would it look like? What would it feel like? And let's do it again. Add another zero onto it. What does that look like? What does it feel like? What does it impact and it have? What can it change? Then the second question, and again, it helps you create this clear vision. And it either will be comfortable or uncomfortable, whatever you are at that you gravitate towards. Then the next question I ask is, and this is some a question that I learned from a Harvard professor three years ago. I wish I can take credit for it, but I can't. We're May, meant to see the restrictions and the reason why something can't work. We're wired that way. It's normal. The way to get around that is a question is, is, okay, what would have to be possible for that to be true? Flip it. So whether it's myself questioning or a member of my team or whatever project I'm on, someone start throw, throwing out all the negative why it won't work. Say, you're right, but I got a question. What would have to be possible to make that true? And then you come up with your new operating assumptions and then 
if you can envision yourself to making those operating assumptions, those assumptions true, now you have a new plan on how to get or create this new vision, this new reality for yourself. And I know the expression that you and I have heard, Nikki, over and over again, we overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what we can do in five. We can do anything. I don't think I can come close to becoming a physician, but again, we can change our destiny in five years. If I can help anyone on this journey to take off what's holding them down for their potential and what really makes them happy and living a life when they say, you know, looking back 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now, when they look back and say, wow, which is better saying I had a nice and fine life and I played it safe or man, I left it all out there. What an incredible journey, ups and downs, but what a journey I led. Yeah. Powerful. Mm, Incredible. Wow. Thank you. It sounds so simple, right? Like get rid of the self-doubt. Stop saying you can't and stop comparing yourself to other people. And, And when you have the will, you'll find the way. And yet it takes that determination. It takes that conviction and confidence that you can. My cheats on this. Mm. One is I changed my room. First room I change is, I mean, some things in my life is I've actually moved to different cities. It changes everything. You have to think about everything different because you have the freedom from new relationships, new opportunities, new perspective, the way you look at it. The other thing that I did three years ago is I decided that I only want to surround myself with people that give me energy, not that challenge me. I have to have people that challenge me, but they give me energy. And the, and I really started with, I want people that are in my life that are generative, that are giving, that are impact driven, that basically have a fire in them. And I said, okay, let me translate that into something simple. Either people give me energy or they take these, they, they suck the energy from me. Huh. And if I can surround myself with people that are, that I trust that give me energy, whether it's in work or relationships or friendships, that is a way to the cheat, you know, the shortcuts, the highways in order to unlock your potential is it's getting rid of negative voices of people that view you like this and see your potential and who you should be. And Nikki, the person that you really are in your heart and your capability. I love that. Huge. Your circle of influence is everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. What a treat. Okay. I do yeah. ask one question of all my guests. If little six-year-old Tom were sitting next to you right now, what would you tell him? Oh, I give him so much advice. I mean, I start with, it's your life. Don't seek approval from other people. Do the right thing. Follow your heart. And the most important voice is um, is yours. And that's the only one you need approval from. And then if you need to, you can lean into Brene Brown, her the, what she called her square, where she said, who are the people that you really care, whose opinions count, that you trust? She said, those are the, that will tell you the truth, but you really, I'm going to say, they give you energy. Those are the people you care about and everyone else ignore. It doesn't mean being toned at, but it means, you know, six-year-old self, it is, is um, fine, you know, just lean into it and just trust and don't seek other people's approval and take risk, big risk. Life is too short, not with your life, but take, take, just take big risk. And because the bigger swings you take and failure is just means you're one step closer to success and have fun and laugh a lot. Brilliant. Ah, so well said. Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate your time and all your wisdom. And thank you for sharing. What a blessing you are. Thank you. <laughs> Sending you so much love. Thank you guys for tuning Next in. Me, thank you. <laughs> Such a pleasure. Thank you.